Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you today? Welcome to History is Sexy. Um, I'm very excited about today's History is Sexy because it's one of the ones where you just already know everything. I do. It's good fun. Although I've learned some new things, which has been a lot of fun. There's always, this is a nice thing with history is you think it's like already there, but then you're always learning new things. Yeah, that's also the terrifying thing about history because you actually cannot ever physically know it all. No, but then if you ever knew it all, then we'd be like, oh, history's done now. I'm out of a job. Well, that's true. Have to do? I'd have to go and do something dreadful like be a teacher. Mm, that sounds awful. Oh no, I'm terrible with children. And they don't let you drink on the job. And when you're a historian, they totally let you drink on the job. Yeah, this is this is crucial <laughs> planning when you're picking a career. Writer, you it, can drink on the job too. It's exactly. ideal. You're like, do I have to put on proper clothes? Can I have a glass of wine in the middle of the day? Can I just have a nap if I feel like it and then work all night? Do I have to deal with any children? Those yeah. were essentially my criteria. <laughs> yeah, same. For picking it's, a job. It's, ba- it's basically the thing. Can I get a buy with just yoga pants and a loose shirt for my entire life? Yes. Yes, yes I can. Can I get out of bed, have a shower and then put on my day pyjamas? <laughs> yes. <laughs> can I swan about all morning and then just start work at 12 and then because no one's in charge of me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I love that. it when no one's in charge of me. <laughs> means Perfect. I can spend my time doing stuff like this, like doing a podcast called History is Sexy, which is both brilliant and ridiculous. Yeah, it's great. We can do whatever we want. And no one can stop us. No, no one can stop literally us, no one. Whether they want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> They're not my real dad. No, we've got internet access. We've got microphones. We're unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today we are answering a question from Jenny from Belfast who asked us, and I think this is a brilliant question, and you can tell that she is a very smart person just from the phrasing of the question. When in Rome, what did the Romans do? That's such a good question. Such a good question. What I found when I was in Rome, I used the phrase when in Rome to give myself permission to do whatever the fuck I wanted. (laughs) Do I want a giant five scoop gelato? When in Rome. When in Rome, have a five-scoop yeah, gelato. In Rome. I don't know that the Romans I, ate gelato. So. I don't know if the current Romans eat gelato in the quantities that I ate gelato in, but I didn't know that they didn't, so... There you go. Yeah. See, this is another nice thing, is that, you know, at what point in Roman history are we talking about the Romans? Technically, yeah. there's people who live there now, they're Roman. What are they doing? They're eating pasta, mostly, and yeah. riding around on motorcycles very dangerously. Mm-hmm. And Parking not- in the middle of the road because you can do that in Rome. Exactly. Brilliant. Mm. So you could do that or you could do like the Republican Romans did or you could do like Caligula did. He was a Roman. Or you could do, this is something that I had f- totally forgotten for some reason, you could do what Commodus did. He was the emperor who was in Gladiator. And I don't remember that they put this in Gladiator, which I find very disappointing. Oh, the one who was played by Joaquin Phoenix? Yes. He was terrifying in that film. He was the only... I will be up front with you here. Did not care for that film, but uh, Joaquin Phoenix is an excellent villain. I did not care for that film either, for a multitude of reasons. Mostly because I hate mawkish stuff about how hard it is to be a dad. But... But no, Walking Phoenix is amazing. But something that they missed out is um, there's a bit in Cassius Dio, who was a senator under Commodus, where he talks about watching Commodus fight in the arena as a gladiator. And he says that Commodus fought an ostrich, <laughs> cut off its head, and then carried the ostrich's head over to like where all the senators were sitting and like waggled it at them <laughs> in a threatening manner. But they thought... 
they didn't find it particularly threatening. They said found it really funny. <laughs> and so they all had to start plucking the laurel leaves off of their laurel crowns that because they were in public they were wearing them and and stuffing them in their mouths in order to hide their laughter (laughs) so So does that mean that the next time i'm in rome i can fight and be hid an ostrich and Mm -hmm. no one can say about thing about it because it's what the romans do I mean, technically, yes. I believe yeah. that that is how law works. Yes. This is an official legal defence in Rome. I'm, a, I'm a historian, not a lawyer, but I'm <laughs> 99% sure that, that that is how law works, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it yeah. doesn't, I don't want to know. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is why I don't know anything about law, because I'm fairly sure it's quite like, more boring and they say words like taught a lot. But Also, yeah. lawyers seem to work very... All the lawyers I know work until like 11 p.m. every night and work on the weekends. It's no, it's, it's, and I, fair, I don't I do think those they things get to too. drink on the job. No, I do do those things too, but it's because I don't get up until 11 in the morning. So. Well, exactly. <laughs> I work um, late, I, I start work late and I work very slowly and at a leisurely pace. So sometimes yeah. I work late. <laughs> that's because I've chosen to. Yeah, Not that's why they get paid good money though and we don't. They do get paid very good money. So I guess it evens out. In the I end, guess really. it does. That's Sucks. true. <laughs> well, we've made our bids. Lawyering is one of the things that Romans did, actually. They were good on lawyering. Roman law was a big thing. That was part of what made you a Roman, was having a written legal code. And then when all of the post-Roman, post-imperial kingdoms tried to pretend to be Romans, like the Franks and the Lombards and the Visigoths and all of that, when they were trying to set up themselves as pretend uh, successors of the Romans, they uh, all just wrote down law codes and that's how they pretended to be Romans. Ooh. That's like the big thing that they did. Like, we are Romans now, so we have a law code. So that's how, what Romans do. So we are a Roman, the end. But they weren't in Rome, so they shouldn't so, have been doing what Romans do. Some of them, the Lombards <laughs> were in Rome. Oh, the Ostrogoths okay. were in Rome. They didn't have a law code, though. But uh, <laughs> this is why you're the expert and I'm the tagger alonger The tagger along. You're an expert in different things, Janina. <laughs> but I am an expert in Roman things, which is yeah. quite good. Which so is why that- this is a very convenient question for me. It is a very convenient question for you. And for me, because it means I do less work. Yeah, that's true. In fact, it was a dream question. <laughs> it's a dream question for me, because I get to talk, I'm now going to talk about Romans for like an hour. Yeah. And a dream question for you, because you just get to listen to me talk and ask like whatever question comes into your head. Yeah. And occasionally button with half-remembered facts from um, yeah. uh, high school classics. Which I will then manipulate into being more accurate. Fantastic. Ideal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when in Rome, what do the Romans do? The first thing that I feel that it's necessary to know, because I really feel like this is something about Romans and that we don't talk about enough. And I really wish that when I had started doing A-level ancient history when I was 16, that this had been the first thing that anyone told me. Like, I fell in love with the Romans immediately, mm-hmm. in part because one of the first things I ever watched was the terrible porn film Caligula. But... <laughs> There's a porn film about Caligula. Oh my God, Janina, how have I known you for this many years and I have never talked to you about my obsession with the 1979 porn film Caligula starring Helen Mirren. What? And Malcolm McDowell and Peter O'Toole and John Gilgood. Oh, how have you not forced me to watch this? Oh my God, Janina, the next time... I see you. I'm going to make you watch it because you have to watch it with commentary because it's the worst film that's ever been made. Um, And the reason it's the worst film that's ever been made is because it... Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, The script was originally written by Gore Vidal. Mm-hmm. And then this is, um, this is a it, dizzying array of people involved with this film. And then it was 
produced and financed by Bob Guccione, who wrote, who um, owned Penthouse magazine. And he wanted to make this high budget porn film in the vein of like Quo Vadis and Ben Hair and all that stuff, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. with sex in it. Sure. So he hired a low-budget Italian porn director called Tinto Brass to film it. Tinto Brass is an excellent name for a porn director. It is, and he is a lunatic who believed that he had had a seance and talked to the Emperor Caligula and that therefore he knew exactly what he was doing. So it's got like this Gore Vidal, it's got Malcolm McDowell, it's got John Gielgud, it's got Helen Mirren, it's got all these amazing people in it. But then in other roles, it just has porn actors and actresses and Mm -hmm. they spent all of this money on it and it's really beautiful. But then Tinto Brass is used to only filming like big close-ups of cocks. So he has no no idea how to film like these massive sets. Uh, So it looks fucking terrible. And then there was this massive falling out because it turned out that Bob Guccione was sneaking his penthouse pets onto the set in the evenings when everybody had wrapped up for night and filming with a completely different director extra porn scenes <laughs> and then so there was this massive falling out and it we ended up with Tinto um Tinto Brass with Bob Guccione stealing all of the film and because this is back in the day he um <laughs> he wrapped it around his body <laughs> in order to steal it, took it to England and edited it together into a film that bears almost no resemblance to Gore Vidal's original script and is just like scenes from all over the fucking place just in at random in, in random orders and then random hardcore porn scenes just just sliced in at intervals. Uh, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest film of all time. And it, it was on TV in like the third week of me doing Ancient History as an undergraduate. <laughs> and I was like, this is batshit insane. But I feel like, like I was in love with them already, but I feel like more people would be in love with them if they knew how very differently they experienced time in mm-hmm. that they did not have the same hours in a day that we had. Right. I think because I think it's very easy to forget that time is something that we essentially just made up. Yes, it is. So they had, uh, so you would have um, 12 hours in the daytime and 12 hours in the nighttime, but the length of those hours depended on the amount of daytime. Right. So if you, in the summer, an hour would be like about up to 90 minutes long. And in Mm -hmm. the winter, it would be around 40 minutes long. So you would say from sunrise, I'll meet, like I will meet you in the second hour or whatever and that would be the second hour after sunrise and you would just have to kind of guess <laughs> around about when that might be or you would say like I will meet you at the fifth hour and that would be the fifth hour after sunrise and then you would have when the sun went down then the hours would start counting from the hours after sunset so you'd have the first hour after sunset the second. so if you were doing something nefarious you would say I will meet you in the tunnel at the fourth hour after sunset do you know um, that sounds actually like delightful <laughs> yeah like yeah. every everything would have to be so much more chill because there's no set hour yeah. that you can meet someone in and you when the days are shorter light wise they're actually shorter time wise too so you can just you know slag off your work when it gets yeah. Yeah. you know close well, enough to dark can't- this is another thing uh, is that once it's dark it's dark it's really fucking dark like there's no electric lights all you've got is some shit candles so you pretty much gotta be home 
yeah, you've got to be at home or you've got to be have somebody like with you with some kind of lamp. But you can't see very far, so you may as well be at home. Mm. And you probably can't see people who are on the other side of a particularly large room, which is why also <laughs> you've been to Rome. All the rooms are quite small. Yeah. As because once you're home, can't really see anybody if they're more than four foot away from you. <laughs> That might be a good thing in some cases. I mean, yeah. It means that no one has to wear makeup after dark, so... That is nice. I mean, no one uh, has to wear makeup. True. Though they did. They all really liked makeup the way Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I imagine it was less complicated than it is nowadays. I can't keep track of what I'm supposed to put on my face. There's less contouring and no YouTube videos. So. Right. And no one... Well, I say no one was doing a winged eyeliner. Probably fewer people were doing a good winged eyeliner because no good mirrors. I keep waiting for winged eyeliner to go out of fashion because I cannot do it. (laughs) But it's it's been so long. I think it might be eternal. God. Like, eyebrows come and go, contouring comes and goes, light lipsticks, dark lipsticks, but always the winged eyeliner. (sighs) Oh, well. (sighs) One day. (laughs) What are you going to do? Yeah. So they had this thing with the weird hours. So... Things were happening in shorter periods of time or longer periods of time. And then at the same time, they didn't have a seven-day week. They had an eight-day week, Mm -hmm. which is quite fun. Did that include some form of weekend? Was there time off mandated or was it just like... So no, so they didn't have the same thing like where we have a specific day off. They Mm -hmm. had their calendar was broken up into different types of days, which were spread across the year. So you had days on which you could have legal action of which there are like 80 during the year so there are 80 when you could do legal action and then there's like 190 when you couldn't do legal action but you could do other stuff then you have like a certain amount of market days and then you have a certain amount of days which are called DA's nefasti which is when nobody does anything and everybody has a day off Mm -hmm. but they're not on a specific day every year Sure. Or on a specific day every week. But there are quite a few of them. So they're spread around. But then there was also a quite fun thing where they originally had, they didn't have a 365 day calendar for quite a lot of Roman history. They had a 350 day lunar calendar, Mm -hmm. which would mean that obviously 350 days is not as long as it takes for the earth to go round. Right. So So the seasons start to shift? The seasons would start to move around. So it was the job of the head priest of Rome, who's called the Pontifex Maximus, to insert whenever they started to drift a bit too much, he would say, we're having a bonus month this year. Bonus Mm -hmm. month. Just have some extra days in your life. (laughs) Yeah, so they would pop in an extra 30-day month in the middle Mm -hmm. to put everything back on track because otherwise they would find that they were like celebrating the spring festivals two months in like February. Right, which actually felt as what this April has felt like <laughs> this yeah. year. Until it got like 29 degrees in London, I heard. Until all of a sudden it's boiling hot. We went from snow to 30 degrees, it, like with very little time in between. Yeah. I um, literally had just switched from my winter coat to a, my trench coat, <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm just like, no, I cannot. There's now no, you have to get there's no summer coats. wardrobe. Yeah, that was they were like that all the time. So they'd be like, I am supposed I'm like doing my festival. So there were festival where they would at the beginning of the agricultural year, because Romans were super agricultural, where they would have to go around and like bless the boundaries of their fields. And Mm -hmm. in order to prepare it for planting, they're like, "Mm, everything is still frozen. So (laughs) we should probably pop in. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so but they were usually quite good at that until you get to the civil wars in the late Republic. So this is Julius Caesar and Pompey, the civil war between those two. Mm-hmm. The, like, the big period of history that everybody knows about where Cicero is rocking about. And sure. The, the bit that was in Rome, the TV show. <laughs> oh, I never actually watched that. It's really good. You should watch it. Mm. They forgot to have Tiberius be born, though, which is why they can never go and do another series. But apart from that, it was really good. <laughs> it was a, it's a minor problem when you forget to have the next emperor be born. But, yeah, that uh, does make things <laughs> tricky. Yeah. So Julius Caesar was the Pontifex Maximus because he kind of just loved, fucking loved power. But he also was a general who was going off fighting people all the time and was having a civil war with Pompey. And he left it his responsibilities for so long that he he let the calendar drift by a full six months so they were celebrating their summer festivals in winter and their winter festivals in summer which is a massive fuck up (laughs) and he was like you know what i can't be asked with the burden of adding an extra month every so often it is completely preposterous that our calendar does this like just drifts about the solar year i mean he's not wrong he wasn't wrong. So he, and he was a smart man. He came up with the Julian calendar, which is the 365 day a year and then has a leap year every so often, mm-hmm. which is nearly what we have now. But for a good 750 years worth of Roman history, they did not have that. <laughs> <laughs> They're just doing it on the fly. Yeah. And so every so often, like every few years on an essentially random basis, they would have an extra month. I mean, I would like an Easter month now and again, but it feels like the sort of thing that should be a little bit more scheduled. Yeah. And it's, again, an, I think a nice example of how, like, to us, that just feels really weird. Like, you can't just add an extra fucking month in the middle of the year. You can't have, like, July, August, bonus month, September. No. Because we're really used to time being quite fixed and yeah. astronomical and there's like things which like measure it really specifically. But they did not have that. Everything was considerably more fluid with like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, an extra month. Cool. Now I do this stuff and now I do that stuff. Yeah. And then they got the 365 year, day year, which started to bolt it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really interesting. The idea of having time be just something like the experience of time be something so fundamentally different from our own experience. It's kind of one of those things also that makes you wonder why we initially started trying to label time in any sort of... I mean, because it is... Obviously, there are reasons for it. The year is 365 days long because that's how long it takes for the Earth to go around the sun and that's fine. So there's like a physical thing happening. But yeah, why we decided that we needed to label that and divide it into 12 chunks and that some of them should be this many days and some should be that many days and all of that. Like when we could have just gone like, oh, when the, the weather does this, then we, we, do we do this, which seems like a lot less confusing. I'm going to guess that it's partly because of the Enlightenment and everyone suddenly becoming very rational, mm-hmm. with a capital R, and partly because of industrialization, mm-hmm. making everybody need to be in one place at a specific time. Sure. I did read a really interesting article in History Today about this, and but it was about like time in the like 17th century, so just when things started to become industrialized, just before the Industrial Revolution completely took over. Mm-hmm. But like time became standardized in the UK, like the idea of Greenwich Mean Time, really recently because of trains. Oh, of course. When people started having train timetables. So that's like the 19th century and Isambard Kingdom Brudel and all of that. 
They needed to be able to say this train is going to leave Bournemouth at this time and is going to arrive in London at this time and is going to arrive in Liverpool at this time and have those be times, basically, Mm. that everybody could agree on rather than like Bournemouth being two hours behind Liverpool, which was or like 40 Liverpool being 40 minutes ahead of London. They needed to be able to say we have one standardised time and this is what the timetables mean. But yeah, so it's actually really quite recent that time becomes a like a, a, a standardised thing where everybody agrees that this is how long an hour is and this is what time it is in the UK. Yeah. Which is fun. What do you know? What do you know? It's weird, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's like so it feels so hardwired into you. Yeah. This is But this really it's just a cultural just, yeah, thing. You completely take for granted and then all of a sudden you're like, Well, someone just decided this. Yeah. Some human human person. And then we all just went, Alright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the first thing that I think it's important to know about what the Romans were doing is that they were doing predominantly whatever the fuck they like at random <laughs> times. The reason that we know all this is because actually the Romans, although it sounds like they were kind of pretty lax with time, they're actually really keen on writing down their calendars mm-hmm. in stone on the side of temples. Um, right. And they were very keen on having temples, like they fucking loved temples. <laughs> um, so they would write their calendars down as like they would have the 12 months and then each day in the month and then that would be split into their eight and then there would be like another column which said like what the what kind of day it was whether it was a day where you could do legal things or a day where you could do not do legal things or a day where you could have a committee which we'll come to in a minute and like all of the different types of day basically and they were quite kind of they would inscribe that in stone uh, on the side of a temple and then um, and they were very keen on keeping track of the years either from the so we're recording this on the 22nd yesterday was the birthday of Rome because they measured time from the 21st of April, 753 BC, which is the day that Romulus killed Remus and founded the city of Rome. Mm-hmm. Which so that's... we know with the certainty that we know that Jesus was born on the 25th of December. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know why you would dispute that, Janina. Oh, no, nothing, not at all. Yeah, and then everybody gave him, like, presents and gift vouchers. What? I don't understand what you were... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah that, like that was the official day according to the well i mean there's been we've had then the gregorian calendar change since then which kind of shuffled some stuff around and mm-hmm. made time confusing for a while there in the medieval period but nailed down the 21st of april 753 bc and then they would name years so instead of having so it'd be like this is the 875th year since the founding of Rome and it is the year of the consulship of X and Y. Mm -hmm. And that would be like the name of the year. Sure. So they were really keen on writing this stuff down, which is very useful for us. Very organised people. Does that mean that when I'm in Rome, I should be organised? It means you should know what year it is and what kind of day it is. (laughs) I can maybe manage that. (laughs) If you could know who, I guess, the mayor of Rome is, then that would be good. So you could be like, this is the year of the mayoral rule of whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure I could find that out. Yeah, but definitely you need to know how many years it is. So it's 2,770 years this year. Sorry, sorry. Say that again. (laughs) So it's... This year, mm-hmm. 2018, um, yes. is 2,770 years since the foundation of Rome. Okay, sure. So if you go to Rome this year, then you need to just mark it with that. 
Yeah, rather than the, the newfangled time, which stems from, from Christ. The, yeah, from Christ, right. yes. Yeah, I mean, later Romans would be cool with that, but mm-hmm. I feel not like classical Romans. current Rome is predominantly populated by later Romans. It is. It does tend to be. There are very few classical Romans left. <laughs> <laughs> and those that are are imprisoned in museums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for better or for worse. But yeah, very few of them. But we only, like, they do have quite a big birthday party for the foundation of Rome when you're in Rome on the 21st. Do they? Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. It makes you wish that you had a birthday party for, like, London or something that you yeah. could every year be like, hey, happy birthday. Yeah. Maybe we should throw one. Throw London a surprise birthday party one year. Yeah, well, it doesn't have, like, a good founder is the problem. Mm. There's no, like, Mr. London yeah. who founded London. <laughs> it all sort of just grew together around a bunch of tents. Yeah, which is, mm, I mean, more realistic, I guess, than I am the son of Mars and I'm going to come and found a city and murder my twin brother over which hill is the best hill, but less fun. Yeah. So when you are in Rome... Mm-hmm. And you have you know what year it is. Mm-hmm. You know who the consuls are. Mm-hmm. Very important. You know, you have two things that you're doing basically. As far as the Romans are concerned, life is split into two things, which is otium, pleasure, and negotium, the opposite of pleasure, which is business. Right. So you're either doing the fun stuff or not fun stuff. It I is like nice. how you've put here in the notes literally the lack of pleasure. <laughs> That's basically what negotium means, like ne-otium, mm. like not fun. <laughs> so basically, if you have fun at work, you're doing it wrong. Essentially, yeah. They did not think that work was particularly fun. They thought that life should be generally pleasurable. It should be relaxed. It should be the... Pursuit, not the pursuit of bodily pleasure necessarily, but the pursuit of, of relaxation and niceness. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think when you say pleasure, now we live in a, a Christianized concept, you, people tend to think of like fucking. Yeah, or even if they don't go right for fucking, it's like deliberate, like an act of pleasure. Like yeah. going to a spa day or, you know, drinking a lot of, of wine and eating fancy food. Yeah, it's an experience of like of excess almost. Yeah. Uh, whereas the Romans were like, where we think that life is work, and then pleasure is something that you have to put effort into. Mm-hmm. They thought that life should be pleasure, and then work was the thing that you had to put effort into. Mm-hmm. Of course, part of the reason that they thought that is that they had slaves. That does make it easier to not work. Yeah, just an astonishing amount of slavery, and a lot of like. Stuff that you see about Romans, like when you watch TV about Romans or when you read books about Romans, they tend to treat slavery either like there will be a slave Mm -hmm. around or they will... I've read a lot of books in my time which have been told from the perspective of a slave or a freed slave. yeah. Yeah, that's a classic trope. Yeah, but they're like, I am the freed slave of the Emperor Augustus, but I love him. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like completely devoted and they're like the happy slave trope, basically. Like, oh, I was a slave, but it was fine. I love being, I love to work for the man I love so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure, Jen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or there's just no slaves at all. Like if you've ever seen I, Claudius, there's no slaves in that. There's no 
the infrastructure of how Rome worked was on the back of slavery. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why they could pretty much get away for a lot of the time with not having to worry about doing shit work because they had slaves to do it for them. Mm-hmm. And they paid no attention to their slaves. There were quite a lot of rules about how, like, about treating slaves and what you're allowed to do with them. And in the time of Claudius, there was quite a big deal when it turned out that loads of people... I say turned out when he too many people were dumping their ill slaves or their dying elderly slaves on Oof. an island in the Tiber. It became like this place where you would just dump them there and leave, basically. Jesus. Yeah. In, in a way that you might like, oh, my toaster has broken. I'm yeah. just going to throw it away. It's like the rubbish tip for people. Yeah. Or like, I'm going to... Like, mm, is it easier to buy a new toaster for like 15 quid from Argos or shall I try and fix this toaster and spend loads of money on it? You just throw away the toaster. That's basically how they were with slavery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, But they also had quite a lot of rules with a notorious Roman law is that if one slave killed their master or mistress, mm-hmm. then every single slave in the household would be tortured and executed, which is bad enough when you have two slaves, but there were... A, Rome by the kind of high imperial period has a lot of rich people who own hundreds and hundreds of slaves. And there is a a story under the Emperor Nero where he had to kill 300 slaves. Jesus. Because one killed their master. And so like slaves who work in the field, slaves who work in other houses, slaves who never met the slave who killed their master, they all just wiped out. They just did not. Yeah, that's not a great policy. No, I mean, it worked because there was like one significant slave uprising in the entirety of Roman history, and that was Spartacus. Mm -hmm. um, And that ended with like 6,000 people being crucified. So it was not an unsuccessful policy, but it was a (laughs) horrific policy. And they, you know, they worked on the basis that slaves were a a commodity. Right. Completely a commodity. And the bigger the empire grew, the more slavery grew. And the richer Rome became. So Rome starts growing its empire in about 200 BC. And by 0 BC, it's enormous mm-hmm. and takes up like the entirety of the Mediterranean. And then there are periods where it grows even further. And so each time they grow, each time they have a war, they bring back more people. Mm-hmm. And the general punishment for if you fucked up in Rome was to be condemned to slavery somewhere and you would get sent off to the mines. And so everything that Romans did is underpinned by slavery. And which is a thing I think is really forgotten. And it's partly because the only, like, a lot of what we have is the writings of the richest men in the world. Yeah. Who are the 1% of the 1% who are so spectacularly rich that we kind of forget, like, how astonishingly rich they were. There's this amazing bit also in Cassiodio where he really goes in hard on the philosopher Seneca, who he really fucking hates for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) I love a little bit of ancient beef. Yeah, and he lived like 150 years after Seneca, so it couldn't even be personal. <laughs> um, although having said that, I live 2,000 years after Seneca and I really hate him. So. <laughs> um, but there's like a bit of his, like, Seneca owned like 500 ivory tables. There's too many, there's too many tables. Why would you, how, you people are insanely rich. Ivory or otherwise, there's too many tables. Yeah. Where are you going to put that many tables, you know? What do you have to Uh, put on that many tables? Yeah. Well, I assume that he had many luxuries to put on that table. Oh, I guess so. Still. Yeah. So a lot of what we know is about the richest of the rich who had so many slaves that they just didn't even think of it, basically, Mm. in the way that we don't think about Wi-Fi. 
yeah just there and they do stuff for them and you don't even have to worry about it and even at a relatively low level you would still have a slave maybe like if you own a barber shop or whatever you probably got a slave or two <laughs> sweep the floors yeah exactly on them yeah like do the shit that you don't want to do yeah so that is one of the important things which means that a lot of the so i'm going to talk about negotium first about business mm-hmm. mostly because that means that hopefully people will listen through because we're going to get to the sexy stuff when they get to otu because <laughs> some of it is slimy sexy stuff <laughs> That is what we are here for. Yeah. And also because, so when I was an undergraduate at university and when I was doing A-level and whatever, uh, the focus was very much on the politics and the rich people, basically. Mm -hmm. But there has been this real movement recently towards focusing on not just like the work that rich people talked about, but talking about proper jobs in Mm -hmm. Rome. Which has been I have been now reading and it's been really fun. So you're saying that not everyone working in Rome was an ancient philosopher or an emperor? No. There were other employment opportunities available. Turns out there was only one, maximum two emperors at a time. Wow, that's not and a then great, they were like, it's not a great job market. <laughs> no. I mean, you say that, but <laughs> there were times in the third century where people were applying for that job with swords. <laughs> like it was going out of fashion <laughs> people were like oh i'm emperor now i'm dead oh i'm emperor now i'm dead nine of us are emperor we're all dead <laughs> um, but there are like as you go down you get different jobs basically mm-hmm. and this is another fun thing about romans i say fun thing i mean kind of vaguely fascisty scary thing about romans is mm-hmm. that they had ranks which were decided by how much money you had and there was a censor how different s- things are from today you see you say this but now we have like <laughs> i mean obviously we live in the uk and we have like this class system mm-hmm. but it is kind of a weirdly nebulous class system um, and you're like, what makes an upper, upper class person? What makes old money? What makes new money? What makes a middle class person? What's the difference between upper and lower? Like, and then you can kind of torment yourself about, mm-hmm. am I a working class person? Am I a middle class person from a working class background? Blah, blah, blah. Which is fascinating as an immigrant from a country that doesn't have a class system to anywhere near the same extent as that. Yeah. Like, we've got a middle class and we've basically got either blue collar or white collar workers mm. and that's it and then maybe we have an uber rich class but they live in Auckland so no one else is think <laughs> about them so you don't have to pay any attention to them no yeah and like England has an aristocracy and then it has like a business aristocracy and blah 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 but you it's some of it is is very flexible and there is movement between and blah 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 whereas the Romans had a censor every so often whose job it was to decide and make lists about of who was in which rank Mm -hmm. so if you honed a million sesterces and you met certain moral requirements then you could enter the senatorial class okay and if you had 500,000 sesterces and you met certain moral requirements then you could enter the equestrian class and you wore different clothes depending on what it was but this was literally like a written down list yeah and then in the lower ranks there were like 10 different property classes which were slightly less visible but mm-hmm. were still pretty clear as to like if you own seven hundred and fifty thousand asses then you belong in this class. If you own 25,000 asses, then you belong in this class. Sure. And there were also kind of voting requirements, like so in the same way that there used to be like a land-based voting requirement in the UK. So you can vote on certain things if you own this much money and you can vote on certain things if you own this much money. 
Sure. So they were much more rigid. That is very about it. that is very fascist of the Romans. They were I mean there's a reason that fascism comes from a Roman word. <laughs> Which is, for people who don't know, it's the fasces are the bundle of sticks with an axe in it that was carried by lictors who were people, men who would accompany magistrates wherever they went. So if you were a consul, which is like being prime minister, then you had like six lictors. And if you were the next thing below, which is a praetor, then you would have like four. And if you were... So if, depending on what job you had, you had... And it was like the symbol of the state, basically, which was a bundle of sticks with an axe in it. Right. Which, which said, together we're very strong, but also I can fucking kill you. Right. Uh, <laughs> basically, look at the symbols and do what I say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, like they would walk in front of the magistrate. So the emperors would have 12. So whenever the emperor was going anywhere, there would be... 12 men with these big bundles of axe sticks walking in front of them. So everybody would get the fuck out of their way and that was their version of her. So basically, instead of having like, you know, like if you're in any kind of employment that has ranks, so if you're in the army or the navy or some, um, I think paramedics do it as well, you've got your symbols sewn on your epaulets or pinned to your chest to show what rank you are. So instead of doing that, they just had people have another person. You're more important, you get another person to just walk. Yeah. Just walk in front of you. Exactly. Great. Or you were allowed like a purple stripe on your toga Mm -hmm. or you were allowed to wear a golden ring. Only senators were allowed to wear golden ring. Um, That was a really big deal. And, you know, you got certain things you were allowed to wear. But it's exactly like how many stripes have you got on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, or how many medals have you got on your chest or whatever. Sure. How big are your golden tassels? <laughs> I mean, then there's, so there's a job straight off being a lictor. Probably not a very fun job, but quite an exciting job. Yeah. It's basically like being the bodyguard to the president. Right. So it's like being Channing Tatum in White House Town. Sure, sure. Or um, um, Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard, the bodyguard. except <laughs> that... I mean, Whitney is the, you know, president of our ears, I guess. The president of my heart? I don't know. Don't know about heart. <laughs> no, I mean, I have no particularly strong feelings about poor dead Whitney Houston. No. But yeah, so it's been really fun because I've been reading about like, there's a really good volume that came out that was particularly about literally the working class. So not slaves, their citizens or their immigrants mm-hmm. and people who would work as day laborers. And there's this whole thing about how they would, in the same way that you see in films, and I assume this is real, like in America, they have like groups of immigrants will or illegal immigrants will come together and somebody will like trucks will drive by and pick up people for a day's worth of labor. And mm-hmm. then like outside home American version of home bargains or whatever. Yeah. Um, they would do that. So there would be particular spaces where people who needed a day's work would go. Sure. And then they would go and work for cash in hand and then they would get dropped off, mm-hmm. which is something that I had never really thought about before. So that was very interesting. So the main way that Romans kind of like your average Roman, your basic mm-hmm. non-equestrian, which is like the business class, it's like the Philip Greens and Alan Sugars of this world, uh-huh. like the very rich nouveau riche kind of people. <laughs> Like, they were the people who did, like, international trade. They were buying and selling and importing and exporting. And Were they called the equestrian class because they got to have horses? Yeah, sort of. It comes from a very old, 
like really old Republican thing where they basically, the guy who kind of decided the ranks and things, just pretended that all Romans were an army. Sure. Because like they had this idealized citizen soldier thing where every citizen was a soldier, which works when you're a tiny city state of like 5,000 people Mm -hmm. and then stops working when you're an enormous empire (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you're having to hold the entire Mediterranean and then the Middle East. (laughs) So yeah, so it was like the senators were the people who weren't really in the empire. They were like the generals Mm -hmm. and they remained the general class like the generals forever. Um, and then there were the equestrians who were the people who could afford horses. Mm-hmm. So they were the cavalry and then everybody else was some kind of infantry. Sure. Depending on how much armour they could afford. Some people like to translate equestrians to knights, but I find that really weird because I immediately imagine them like clanking about. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to tell you where my mind went because it will reveal entirely too much about me. <laughs> Was it a knight's tale? Uh, it was not. It was even more embarrassing than that. Now you have to tell me. I thought of Settlers of Catan. <laughs> oh, you're such a beautiful nerd and I love you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we've got normal people who don't own horses. So they don't own horses. This is like the, your bog standard. This is probably, no. If it was us, we would be like the content creator class. So... <laughs> God, that's depressing. Which is basically what we are. So the content creators of the ancient world are like the poets and Mm -hmm. like your low level poets and like epigram writers, which is kind of a comedic poet Mm -hmm. who would write for a patron. So they would have a rich patron and they would write poems in order to please their patron or they would write like witty one, like two liners that they, they would get read out at dinner parties and things and everybody would go ha oh, oh, your poet your pet poet is so, so good so it was basically the equivalent of being like a writer on Jimmy Kimmel yeah giving him basically. these jokes right yeah but you they would be like they would be given their money by their patron and then they would be kept in it. And he was like, if you read Juvenal, who's like a first century satirist mm-hmm. um, who's just real angry about stuff but he writes a lot about being having to like write what his patron wants Mm -hmm. and sometimes you would be writing for the emperor but basically that's probably what we would be like we're like all we want to do is fucking write we'll just write what you need (laughs) yeah yeah you want a history that says that the emperor is the best thing that ever happened to this world cool Domitian I love you too (laughs) you want like a weird poem about like this guy that you hate okay yep because I just keep eating so it's all fine Marshall, actually, who is extremely fun. He wrote loads. He published like a load of books. I don't really know how. I want to say nine books of epigrams. And they are very, very funny. They're like three line, either very rude in a filthy way or rude in a being really rude about other people way Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are very, very fun. And they are quite disgusting. Actually, I've got one here. This I was going to bring this up about baths. Um, this isn't like the world's <laughs> best translation of it, but I really like it. So they would be about people in Rome, basically. And sure. they would get read out and everybody would have a good laugh. It's not even like subtweeting because they have people's names in them. You never invite anyone to dinner, Cotter, unless you have bathed with him. The bath gives you a guest. I used to wonder why you had never asked me to dinner. And now I know you didn't like me in the nude. <laughs> That's so sad. 
<laughs> well, it's just, uh, you know, why didn't you like my dick? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all basically like that. And there's a really good one by Catullus, who is from the... He's from around when Julius Caesar is around, who basically says, wrote an epigram about Julius Caesar before he became Julius Caesar. So mm-hmm. when he's still like a young upstart who everyone thinks is too big for his boots. Mm-hmm. Basically saying... You seem to think that everybody should know your name, but actually nobody knows who the fuck you are. It's great. <laughs> um, and these are the kind of things that like we would be. And we that would is be a doing. job. Yeah, yeah, that is a job. Like just writing rude poems that fit the right meter and are rude enough that everybody thinks they're funny, mm-hmm. but not so rude like that gets you killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. There's something comforting in knowing that our job has in, existed in some form or other for that long. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, you know, there was... If any time you have a super rich time... I and mean, the Romans were very... Like, I really can't emphasise how rich the Romans were enough. <laughs> like, they had an enormous empire and they had, like, significant number of people who just did fuck all. Like, an entire class. The senatorial class is many hundreds of people and they did basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Just sat around and bitched and complained about being so rich and how terribly difficult it was, which, you know, yeah, really well, hard. Oh, poor babies. Poor babies. Diamond shoes are too, too tight. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people in Rome were basically kind of craftsmen or belonged to some kind of profession. So you'd be a baker and mm-hmm. like your dad was a baker and you're the son of a baker and your granddad was a baker and then you're kids are going to be bakers blah, blah, blah. or a barber mm-hmm. or a bookseller you know we've got a lot of beautiful frescoes and beautiful mosaics and beautiful carved things and all of those were carved by people in professions mm-hmm. like the sculptor profession and the mosaic maker profession and they all existed as part of what are called collegia which are kind of like guilds like mm-hmm. like medieval guilds so they're kind of professional organizations but they will also be you could be in a collegia for your niche interest in boxing sure <laughs> there are like professional uh, ones and amateur ones yeah basically um so you could be and that was like the focus of work and then not work time leisure time as well mm-hmm. <laughs> and also your religious time because religion is really important so you would be to your collegiate and then you would have like every so often you'd have some banquets and they would you would get jobs through them so and you would organize apprenticeships because people would learn how to do their job through apprenticeship mm-hmm. And then people would recommend each other and be like, hey, Antonia, oh, Antonia, Antoninus, he's really good at doing frescoes of birds. You should hire him. Or (laughs) Marcus over there is really good at doing mosaics of people. Mm -hmm. can't do animals for fuck but he can do good face and you know they and there would be stuff like that and then they would also have and i really like this they would have death clubs so your collegia you would also pay into and then when you died because there's not a huge amount of land in italy most people were cremated it would buy you like a little slot Mm -hmm. in the collegia kind of a hall where all of the urns would go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it would be a space where your little urn would go and it would have your name on it and it would say so when you die you just have to spend the rest of eternity surrounded by your colleagues yes (laughs) yeah great (laughs) because like 
professional identity is very important so mm-hmm. like all of the sculptors uh their ends over here you can go and see them in rome they're really cool that is pretty cool mm. so you know there's a whole thing and i think that there is a whole world of again this is a way that fiction and alleged non-fiction tends to cover this which is that you get the very very rich or you're talking or they tend to assume that all of rome was like this disgusting slum full of modern shit mm-hmm. and that everybody was just kind of scrabbling around and that kind of, it's not really a middle class but that professional class yeah. Of Rome is never really talked about, but like millions and millions of people were professional mosaic makers. Mm-hmm. I was thinking this yesterday again because of the 21st anniversary. I posted my favourite thing, which is the world's shittest mosaic of Romulus and Remus and the <laughs> and the wolf. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the wolf just looks like a fucking clay <laughs> monster. <laughs> Like, it's got four legs and a tail, and that's all it has in common with a wolf. Where is it? Compared to the dinosaurs in Crystal Palace Park, how how shit is this wolf? <laughs> I would put it probably in the same area, in that mm-hmm. it does not look like a being, a beast that has ever existed. Sure, sure. It's like orange. <laughs> And I just love the idea of there being, like, really mediocre <laughs> mosaic artists. Mm-hmm. Or, like, someone who just, like, talked themselves into the, a job without the experience <laughs> that they really needed. Yeah. And then everyone was stuck with this thing. It was like, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> what an interesting interpretation of... <laughs> of a wolf. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, because obviously when you you only really see these in museums or in spaces which have been preserved and they only really preserve the ones that are the most spectacularly beautiful. Which is understandable. Yeah, but which make archaeologists go, holy shit, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, but... But people were shit also. But there were also really shit ones. Yeah. And I love that. So yeah, that is lots of things that Romans did. I have loads of stuff on Roman voting as well, but honestly it's not that interesting. Roman voting was... For is am I right? This is one of those things I've remembered wrong. Is Roman uh-huh. voting done by consensus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they put beans in jars. Yeah. So right. basically, the system goes that the Senate. So you know, everyone knows SPQR mm-hmm. in the name of the Senate and people of Rome, and the basically it goes is that the Senate will discuss things and talk about them and be like, we propose this, like we propose that. We go to war with Carthage, okay? Mm-hmm. Or we propose that all women are only now allowed to own one dress, which mm-hmm. is a thing that they would occasionally discuss. Great. And then they would go, yeah, great idea, everybody. I really, I think this is a great idea. We're going to go to Rome with Carthage. We're going to go to war. We're going to do this law, whatever. And then they would pass what's called a senatus consultum, so like a de- kind of a decree. Mm-hmm. But then that wouldn't become law until all of the Roman citizens, male citizens, obviously, mm-hmm. had voted on it. So they would all come together um, in what's called comitia. So the Romans were all divided into 30 tribes. Mm-hmm. So each tribe would hold a was where the commit word committee comes from and they would get together on the campus marshes and then they would be told whatever the thing was and then they would vote on it right and then technically they could reject it so and you know every so often they would they'd be like we're not going to war with those people what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> or we were like yeah no women should only own one dress and it should always be in a not too showy color mm-hmm. how and dare so those they- women show things yeah, actually those never got passed because they're obviously stupid. <laughs> but basically they would do that. And then they would also witness wills. So if you wanted to, you wouldn't have just have one witness on a will. If you wanted to make a will, then 
the whole tribe would witness it. Mm-hmm. But then that became, as the imperial period started, it became less and less like we're going to, you need to vote on this thing. And we're like, we passed a thing. Right. And then eventually Tiberius just eliminated them all together and was like, you just don't do anything now. Right. We just tell you stuff. We, By the way, not. Tiberius passed a rule. <laughs> yeah. And so they became much longer thing. But technically it was supposed to be, they still put SPQR on everything, obviously, but it was supposed to be that you turned up and put a bean in a jar and said whether you liked the idea or not. Mm-hmm. So that's Roman voting. Nice. Again, a thing you never see in fiction. Really um, should be. I was going to say I, that politics and fiction is never that interesting, but then I realised it's categorically wrong. It's like you've never seen Yes Minister? Um, I have seen Yes Minister, but not for a very long time. I recommend watching Yes Minister again, because I watch it every so often and every so often, and every time it's still the best thing I've ever seen. Good for it. I don't, even, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how old I would have been the last time I watched Yes Minister. I would have been young. I mean... Yeah. Also, I'm literally thinking, in the time it's taken me to say that sentence, I thought like 10 other times that politics and fiction was amazing. I mean, obviously, there's like, you know, Veep and The Thick of It and House of Cards and all a million. There are millions. There are millions. Take it back, Ginny. I I mean, I didn't say it, but I will still take it back. Okay. I only thought it and then told you that I thought it. It's not the same thing. Yeah. That's Negotium. We're just going to gloss over what you've what you've just thought yeah and immediately to back so that's negotium and then the rest of the time is otium which is just hanging out mm-hmm. so i divided this into daytime otium and nighttime otium <laughs> yeah so daytime otium is like fun games and relaxing with your pals in the baths mm-hmm. so romans are really quite big on games they liked playing games if you go to the I mean, if you've been to the forum romanum Mm-hmm. like the big Roman one or any of the forums, you'll see where they've scratched board games into the mm-hmm. marble. Like they'll be scratched them into the steps or they'll scratch like all their bore holes into them. And we've got quite a lot of Roman board games. We don't really know how they, a lot of them worked, but they were really keen on board games and on playing competitive board games with each other. Mm-hmm. And they spent a lot of time hanging out in the forum or hanging out in some public space. And they, these are all over the place, like just scratched into the ground. So there's one called that we find everywhere, which is called La Truncoli, mm-hmm. which is a kind of Roman... It's called, It translates broadly to mercenaries, and it's like a military strategy game. So they were playing Risk? Kind of like Risk. It's somewhere between Risk and Chess. Great. Sure. So nobody really knows what the rules are, but we can know from kind of various references that we've got to it that it was a kind of military-themed strategy game. Sure. Has anyone ever tried to recreate it? No, because we have no idea what the... So l- literally just be shooting in the dark in terms of Pretty how much. it works. I did find... It has a really strange title in this, aerobiologicalengineering.com, but it seems to be entirely about Roman board games. <laughs> And that has lots of information about them and like drawings of the various boards that we have and things. And that's quite fun. So if you want to look at more, then you can look there. Um, and there has like like Roman noughts and crosses was called Rota. We know how to play that one. Mm-hmm. And there's one called 12 Philosophers, where the game board is like six words of six letters. And then you this have to This is the one like... where they like put messages in the game. Yeah, and they're very fun. So they would be like, I really like this one, Parthi, Ocasi, Brito, Victus, Ludit, Romani, which is the Parthians are dead, the Britons are defeated, play Romans. (laughs) That is is very good. 
Yeah, and so they all have things like that, uh, like Benari, Lavari, Ludere, Ridere, Orchest, Vivere, which is hunting, bathing, playing games and laughing. This is life. I think my favourite is Lavate, I'm not going to pronounce this right because I've never studied Latin, <laughs> Lavate de Locu, Ludere Nietzsche's Idiota recede, get yep. up and leave. You don't know this game, you idiot. Quit. I mean, who hasn't shouted that at their friend? I mean, obviously, that's what board games are for. Yeah, it's just shouting at people. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, there's lots of fun. That one in English is called something ridiculous, like Three Morris Men or something. <laughs> In the same way that you see like old men playing chess all over the place or in China, mm-hmm. you see people playing more young in tea, yeah. tea shops, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. They would, you know, sit around and play board games all the time, just sit on the floor and play board games, yeah. sit anywhere that you could find them, sit in a taverna and play board games. That sounds all right. I'm okay with it. Yeah, sounds quite... I mean, I go to a board game cafe in Belfast quite often because they do a cheese board and it's nice to have a cheese board and a glass of wine and play some Ticket to Ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. So they did that a lot. They did things like athletics and boxing and wrestling and stuff, but they thought that that was all a bit gay and a bit Greek, which they didn't like very much. Right. So they're not quite as... Let's wrestle in, then also fuck as the Greeks were. No, but they also thought that paying too much attention to your appearance, so like trying to lose weight, was completely effeminate. Like only a woman would do that, and therefore, like they basically, they remember back in the nineties when people used to say, "Oh, metrosexuals, men who <laughs> put hair gel on." <laughs> if they could see us now. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, you're like willing to <laughs> moisturize, you metrosexual. Yeah. You. You're taking care of your skin and and hair. What are you What are you doing? Yeah, and when people would use gay as a slur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but that's basically what Romans were. They were all just fucking bros who spent all of their time being like, oh my god, I can't believe you're trying to lose weight. <laughs> and considering people who did that kind of thing to be super gross, so people who did too much sport or too much like caring what they looked like were <laughs> seen as essentially women and therefore disgusting sure fair enough obviously anything yeah. makes you like a woman am i right yeah. exactly <laughs> who likes women no one no one and then they would what they would do pretty much every day or fairly regularly is go to the baths mm-hmm. and everybody loves the baths and there you would just take all your clothes off and get in the water with all the other people who were nude yeah sure it's just <laughs> Socially acceptable skinny dipping. Yeah, basically. So in the bars, you have three rooms. So you have the hot room, the cold room, and the medium room. Mm -hmm. And then some of them have like dipping pools, like plunge pools that you can swim in. And they quite like swimming, the Romans. And you would just go and hang out there and get clean and have a massage and comment on everybody else's penis. Sure. That's what penises are there for. Yeah, an interesting thing about it actually is that Mars were not, like most bars were mixed, mixed gender. Mm -hmm. So there would be naked women and naked men all together. But the the Roman men who write about it are only interested in writing about dicks. Sure. I mean, we we know this. We know how the Romans felt about dicks. They loved them. Dicks were their favourite. Yeah, they they really did. And so, and they talk about looking at each other's penises and they talk about like feeling self-conscious and they talk about like keeping an eye on how much time everybody takes and what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. But they're literally only interested in the men. Like the women could be doing 
anything. The women could be doing fucking making cheerleading pyramids and diving off and doing <laughs> spectacular like dances in the nude and waggling tassels off their nipples and they would be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear that Frontus has like a weird penis that goes sideways. Uh, <laughs> and they, they give no fucks what the women are doing at all. They could be doing dance routines and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting. I hear that's women's stuff. But also, did you hear that Frontus was only in here the other day for like 20 minutes and then he left? He must have been doing something rude. And um, it's amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. And that's like where you do the fun gossiping and also weird sex. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that is obviously where we've been leading this whole time is the weird It sex. is where we've been leading this whole time. <laughs> it's the only reason I assume anybody listened to this episode. <laughs> Like, all the rest of it is just leading up to me reading some Seneca about yeah. the weird fucking I've just been sitting here thinking, no, it's not what did the Romans do, it's what did the Romans do. <laughs> Who did the Romans Who do? Who and how did the Romans do? All right, Junior, in order to please you, I will mm-hmm. read you a bit of Seneca. Please do. This is a man who owned 500 fucking tables mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it spent all of his time writing letters to people telling them to basically do as I say, not as I do. Well, I'm glad that he used those tables for fucking something. You know what? I don't think he did. <laughs> <You don't? laughs> I like to think of him like circling, cycling around his house being like, I'm going to write my letter from this ivory table today. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Seneca probably wasn't getting laid in now mm-hmm. although he I don't, he did like get exiled for fucking a princess but oh he fair, got, fair play get yours he got exiled for fucking one of caligula's sisters <laughs> lavilla not agrippina yeah about 20 minutes after she had come back from being previously exiled so she was exiled for tr- trying to kill caligula and then with her other sister agrippina mm-hmm. and then they got back from exile and then immediately she started fucking seneca so he was getting laid at least a bit yeah and he must that, that he must have had some appeal to him that's he must have. This is not a long time for you to get down to <laughs> I, business. I struggle to see what it is because he, or he has, there's a lot of writings that he has left, and they're all just basically, oh, everyone is bad. Everyone is awful. Women don't breastfeed anymore. People cry too much. Everyone is awful. Oh my god, everyone's so depraved except me. That's my impression of Seneca. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, so he basically just complains about everybody else and is very much a do as I do, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a bit about a guy called Hostius Quadra, mm-hmm. who we know all, nothing about apart from this. And this is Seneca in what he has called his natural questions, discussing the behavior of Hostius Quadra in the Bards. Hostius Quadra's depravity was not restricted to only one sex, but he was voracious for men and women alike. He had mirrors made specially to reflect distorted images and they were set up at angles around the room so when his arse was penetrated he could see all and he relished the exaggerated size of his own penis as much as if it were real. He used to cruise the bars, checking out penises, recruiting from the ranks of those who measured up to him. That is so, so good. That is so (laughs) much better than I was expecting. How can you hate Seneca when he gave us beautiful poetry like that? Because (laughs) the rest of it is all like, look how depraved the Romans are rather than... Right. This is amazing. (laughs) So, yeah. And like 100% he was cruising the baths as well and like, you know, picking up ladies, but he was, you know, just complaining about everybody else. Sure. 
Yeah. So the bars, so the bars are technically just a place where you go to get clean. Mm-hmm. And they're heated from within, but also heated by the sun. And they're super fancy. And if you go to like, the bars of Trajan don't exist anymore, sadly. But you can go to like Caracalla's baths, which are huge. Mm-hmm. And some like some of the imperial baths are like palaces, basically. And there's loads of different bathhouses. So you would have like the cruising bathhouses, where mm-hmm. you'd, like men would go to fuck, and you would have the ones where it were a bit more sedate. So you would go to the family bathhouses. Yeah, family bathhouses or the bathhouses which are like mm, like it's if you want to get laid, you go there. If you don't want to get laid, you go over here. If you just want to have a nice rest, this place has like the best masseuse because you could get a massage. You could get yourself rubbed down with olive oil and stridgled off, which is obviously the if you don't if you want to watch Rome, you want to watch Mark Antony get rubbed with olive oil and then stridgled and then rewind it and watch it again. <laughs> And then maybe rewind it and watch it again. Then <laughs> that is very excellent. It is, I would say, better than Darcy jumping in the pool and then coming out in Ooh, prejudice. That is a big call. It is a big call, but also, I believe, correct. Well, I'll, I'm going to have to uh, review this <laughs> and uh, okay, verify you your re- claims. You can review it on Twitter. Mm. So, yeah, so, you you know, there are various different places. And, like, if you were the rich people, then you would go during the daytime when it was, like, very hot during the day. And that would be when it was the cleanest and the nicest. Mm-hmm. And then if you were poor and you had an actual job, then you'd only be able to go in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and bathe in like, everyone else's filth. Bathe in everyone else's filth. Bathe in the... And when it was cold, kind of the heating wouldn't be working so well. Mm-mm. The nice sun wouldn't be there. You'd be in the chilly water all the time. Sure. But, you know, that's where you could go do some business, see what everyone's willy look like. Mm-hmm. Cruise. Yep. Do, some... do the fun stuff. Yeah. Get wet. Go for a swim. Nice. And then uh, they tried to make that, imitate that. The Roman baths that are in the UK, mm-hmm. do, how, how much do they date back to the empire and how much are they just British people copying the Romans? Um, I believe they are actually Roman in Bath. Mm-hmm. There is a big thing where the like the traditional narrative of Roman Britain is that it resisted Romanization, what's called Romanization. Mm-hmm. So that they really didn't like being Roman and that they rejected Romanness and like, oh, Boudicca and the Scottish and blah, blah, blah. But actually, there's now lots and lots of evidence that Britain's actually very, very Roman and was mm-hmm. very, very keen on it. So I believe that like the site is was always Roman um, and there are Roman bits and that Bath as an area was a place where people would, would go to bathe. I think mm-hmm. that what exists there now obviously is not Roman. Mm-hmm. It is like much later because it's a big place for the Tudors. They fucking loved Bath. I've got some good Mary Queen of Scots stories about Bath. Uh, <laughs> and um, in that she kind of kept trying to seduce men in Bath whenever she was allowed to go there. Mm-hmm. Fair. And then the Victorians fucking love Bath. I think that the the actual, the majority of the buildings are like 18th, 19th century, mm-hmm. but their foundations of the idea is Roman. Sure. And yeah, and Britain actually really loved the Romans and there's loads of villas everywhere we just built on top of them. Sure. With yeah. the tiny windowed strange houses that you have here now. Yes, we do. They're called cottages. Britain loves a small window. And they do love a small window and a low roof. Yes. And strange. then if you've got a cottage with a small window and a low roof, ideally with kind of steps everywhere, so you're always banging mm-hmm, your head, mm-hmm. then you have to put in a red carpet in order to 
just really and brown furniture so it just feels yes. really close all the yes, time and tightened just in case you felt like there was some air yes yeah fucking hate a cottage <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we the two of us went to Edinburgh last week and I had a lovely time in Edinburgh with those high ceilings. High and ceilings and big windows. Oh, I was such like, windows. I don't, it's been a while since I've been to Edinburgh and I don't know if I've ever kind of... I mean, I must have at the time because it's so striking. And you walk into a house and you're like, I can see everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Georgians loved a big window yeah. and a huge high ceiling and they're fucking freezing, but worth it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I confess I am a I'm a cottage hater. I'm yeah. a bad Englishwoman. <laughs> they seem awful. Don't yeah. know I don't know why did that as a people. <laughs> I think it's just because it's fucking cold in England, you know. Yeah, obviously it's much easier to heat if you've got less little panes of glass letting out. Yeah. It's really cold and it's really wet all the time. That is true. Basically you should just be somewhere else where those aren't problems. <laughs> so I've reinvaded the rest of the world. Exactly. I don't know why uh, I'm complaining. I chose to move here. Yeah, you did. <laughs> this is all your fault. I brought this on myself. I moved to Ireland, a place even wetter and colder. <laughs> <laughs> so don't know what I've done. Yeah. Uh, we both made poor decisions. We have. Right, I'm going to have to bang on. We've got to stop talking about cottages. Mm-hmm. So you're baths, you're nude all the time in baths. Mm-hmm. Just nude. Except, and I do feel that this is important, they did wear bath slippers. So nude, except for the shoes. Oh, that's fair. They were very, I don't know, cared about verrucas, I guess. Yeah, um, you don't want to get athletes' feet. No one wants athletes' feet. So that's important to know. And then in the evenings, you would go and have a dinner party. Sure, every night. That sounds exhausting. I mean, most nights. If you're very rich, then dinner parties every night. Although, an interesting thing, I've been reading about Trajan recently, who is the most boring man who ever lived. <laughs> but he, one of the things that's said about him at his dinner parties is that he allowed his guests to talk to each other. <laughs> so that's notable. And that's notable because other emperors wouldn't. Like, sure. So you basically, like everybody has this image of like Roman dinner parties at the Empress house being like, hey, shouting, shouting, and it, but no, just silence. And presumably someone <laughs> playing a fucking lute or a whistle or something in a corner. That sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I quite like that. But if you're a not, like Collegia were big places for holding, actual, like where people would go for dinner. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, particularly freed slaves, lived in what are called insulae, which are like blocks of flats, mm-hmm. but they would just be rooms and they were made of wood and they're like fucking death traps but they didn't have kitchens okay this is where the idea of kit of shared toilets comes from as well okay which is that these insulae did not have any kind of plumbing they're literally just wooden structures that they would just keep building up and up Mm -hmm. and so they didn't have any plumbing they didn't have any of the commodities that a stone house proper house would have mm-hmm. didn't have kitchens didn't have bathrooms so you would have to go out to have a poo and you would have to go out to get some food sure and so there were places a taberna just means shop so they're like they would sell other stuff as well but lots of places would sell wine and hot food like like basically fast food shop sure and you'd go and get some bread and some stew or whatever or you would go to your collegia and they would have a dinner and relatively often you would have, be able to go out a few nights a week and have dinner with your collegia and recline and eat and like chat to your colleagues and talk about where you were gonna have your urns put when you died <laughs> uh, yeah and then every so often And this is probably the other thing that everybody is waiting for me to say. You got to go to the games. Tell us about the games. Is this the games where they killed people? Yes, they did. Great. 
animals. <laughs> and ostriches. And ostriches. Like um, a lot of animals, Janine. I really can't overstate how many animals they killed. Just a casual afternoon of light entertainment when you force a person to fight a lion. Yes, or a bear. Or, or a bear, yeah. Hippopotamus, or a, just or, or ostriches, or flamingos, or just lo- just any kind of animal that you can think of. Alligators, mm-hmm. just loads of stuff. Any kind of exotic animal. And there was a whole trade in hunting and sourcing animals for the arena. I imagine there's quite an art to like catching a lion without damaging <laughs> it so badly that it can't fight. Yeah. Well, I was talking to um, our producer Oliver about this the other day, which is that. Whenever you see a mosaic or a painting of a Roman lion or like Hercules and the lion mm-hmm. and whatever, they're quite big on putting lions on stuff because they really liked Hercules. The lion always looks really sad and tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at one recently, I think I must have been in Germany, and I was like, this is probably because they never saw a lion that wasn't like half starved <laughs> and had been dragged across the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And they probably thought the lions were, were quite depressing. <laughs> They always just look really tired and like floppy and mm-hmm. like uh, uh. <laughs> they never look like you know powerful mighty beasts. Yeah, which is probably why they liked killing bears a lot. They like really liked bear baiting, basically. Right. So a yeah, more, a bit more dramatic. Yeah, basically, uh, games is. So it's not just that. You also have like athletic games and chariot racing. Mm-hmm. And chariot racing is crazy. They love the chariot racing. There were four teams you know, with different colours and they, people supported them like people support football teams now, but worse because mm-hmm. there were only four of them. So you didn't even get to be like, oh, well, you like Spurs and I like Manchester United. We have no beef with each other. Like everyone had a beef with each other. Sure. If you like the Greens and you like the Blues, then... And then there would also be theatre and dancing. Mm-hmm. So like singing and putting on a play and doing some ballet. Sure. And every so often like ballet dancers would get banished from the city for being a bad influence on everybody. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so interesting because ballet dancers always seem to be such girly swats. <laughs> well, that's because they have to work from the age of like five until they're 25 and then they're broken and they get thrown out. That is true. And that would be, they'd be on special occasions. So there'll be like some where every year, like the Roman Games was like a big five day festival that was like the hugest thing and everybody loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and every And like there would be games for the Emperor's birthday or games for the mother of the emperor's birthday or whatever mm-hmm. and then various other religious ones and then there would be some which were put on just for special occasions in the republican period these were put on in wooden theaters that were built specially for the uh, occasion mm-hmm. everyone thinks that the Colosseum is has been there forever but it was actually built towards the end of the first century ce by vespasian and finished by titus and though all of the Julio Claudians, so like Tiberius and Augustus and Julius Caesar and Nero and all of that, like they didn't have it. The Colosseum didn't exist then. They so they were to... just doing their fun games in makeshift. Yeah, in wooden theatres. And every so often a, a theatre would collapse and thousands of people would die. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. They, they would be shoddy workmanship. <laughs> but, you know, that was a whole profession as well, building... <laughs> building arenas. Yeah, building theatres and then taking them back down again because they would be built and then removed. And then the, then they built the Colosseum or the Flavian Amphitheatre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was built on the site where Nero apparently built a colossal statue of himself. So they took that down and then built a thing for the people instead. That's quite nice. Yeah, so all of that would be held in there. But then, then they built new cities. They would build an, a theatre or an amphitheatre for them. Here's another, there's another good fact for you. A theatre is one which is only half, so like the semicircle theatre, mm-hmm. like the Greek style. And then an amphitheatre is the one that goes is in a circle. 
Um, oh, really? And that means double theatre. I thought it was it was just to do with the that sort of thing where there's a natural rake in the ground and it's then cut like cut out to be a theatre. No. Yeah. This this is why it's important I do this podcast. Just rely <laughs> on my half-assed attempt at studying at our high school. There you go. See. So it's an amphitheatre technically, and when you're a teenager and a dickhead, then you get cross about that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't really care that much anymore. So they would have singing and dancing and go and watch some shit Roman plays because the Romans were not very good at theatre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were very, 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 very unfunny people. <laughs> that quite a lot of Roman comedy survives and all of it is eye-tearingly shit. <laughs> and like That's Roman jokes. It's, it's, do you think they knew? Do you think the, the, the one thing, like that they knew that the one thing they could never beat the Greeks at was a comedy? I don't know. There are like Roman joke books and stuff and occasionally you'll get a Roman joke and you'll just be like, I don't even <laughs> Where you're going with this? There's a Mary Beard book about Roman laughter, and it like is based on one fourth century joke book, so it's quite late anyway. Mm-hmm. But all of the jokes are just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I don't. What is? It's not even a joke. Like, it's just a sentence. <laughs> it's rubbish. It's every so often they wrote a good satire that was very funny, mm-hmm. but most of the time they were accidentally funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or funny out of context. There's a really good play, which is not play, like satire, which is allegedly by Seneca, but I bet it isn't because it's too funny. Which <laughs> called the pumpkinification of Claudius, Apocalypsintosis. And basically, it's a story of Claudius got deified after he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone thought this was so stupid that Claudius would become a god that somebody wrote this, like, story of him arriving in heaven and then all of the gods laughing at him (laughs) and that is funny in like it's funny as a concept yeah but then when you read it you're like "Mm, this doesn't really make any sense (laughs) and there's a weird bit in it that goes on for ages about how good Nero's hair is which is quite funny but also just really (laughs) weird and then it's got all of these strange like Roman sayings that you assume in the context are supposed to be funny but also they don't make any sense like well the knee is nearer than the shin (laughs) nearer to what? I don't know well, nice try, Romans. You, <laughs> um, gave it, yeah. you gave it a shot. Yeah, but all of their story, all of their jokes are like based on like the idea of a basically Jeeves and Wooster, but like rubbish. Mm-hmm. Where like there's a bumbling master and the clever slave, sure, and or like the bumbling master and his slave is ripping him off, sure. And the slutty woman and the ignorant man is another good one that they liked quite a lot. Like the woman is fucking men all around him. And, and he's just he an idiot. Know. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I told you ages ago, I think it might have been the first episode about the... The one in the, the pot? Yes, the yes. golden ass. Yes. Um, although technically the Apuleius was kind of a Greek, but but yeah, that kind of thing. Like, ho, ho, ho. Like 1970s jokes. <laughs> like, oh, aren't women whores if you don't pay, pay attention to them for 30 seconds? Yeah. They're just very unfunny. <laughs> unfunny. Unnaturally unfunny people. Oh, dear. Mm. Bless their poor souls. Another thing that you would have to do if you were a Roman and you were in Rome, unfortunately, is go and watch some Plautus. What is Plautus? Is he a particular he, playwright? He, he is a Roman comedian and he is one of the least funny things I've ever experienced. That's amazing. Mm. Or you would have to go and watch one of Seneca's tragedies, which are also terrible. Mm-hmm. Or any of the other Roman plays. Germanicus once wrote, uh, he was a prince, he wrote a tragedy. It's awful. <laughs> 
Yeah, just was a thing that they weren't great at. <laughs> sure, sure. They so were too busy that. conquering the world, I guess. They you were really good at that. Yeah. And they were really good at, like, being weird and doing politics really well. And they wrote good poetry. They're great Mm -hmm. history. They did building incredibly well. But Just just... drama was not for them. It's okay. Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone does. But, yeah, so that's a thing you'd have to do, I'm afraid. You'd have to, like, go at the eighth hour and watch some Plautus. Oh, well. Yeah. Sure, I'm sure I could bear it, what with all the bathing I'm doing the rest of the time. That's true. You could then go and have a wash and get nude and put your slippers on mm-hmm. and watch the men, like, basically try to out-penis each other, mm-hmm. which is probably quite fun from a female perspective. Like, <laughs> I, they probably were spending all of their time just being like, oh, my God, what is your husband doing? <laughs> like, he's just waggling his dick in that direction. He's, like, trying to stand in such a, like, he's got his leg up on a column. <laughs> I guess they just expect it at this point, right? Like, of course he's yeah. doing that. What else yeah. would he do? Like, it just, it's a literal dick waving contest. Yeah. 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 So that's what the Romans did, Janina. They did a lot. They got some shit done. They did get some shit done. With, and with their day to day lives. Yeah. They did just about anything you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for any, quest- just any questions. Any questions? expertise on me. I feel like I interrupted enough to have cancelled all my questions out. I think. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. I'm very no. much looking forward to the next time I go to Rome and can implement my knowledge. Yes. Uh, just get nude in the in some baths. Get nude uh, in the bath. Listen to some unfunny comedy. Listen to some very unfunny comedy. Yep. Put some Ricky Gervais on or something. Mm-hmm. Do some legal yep. shit if it's a legal shit day. Do only oh. on a legal shit only day. Go find a calendar and mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. Yes. So you have to make sure that it is an, a, a nefastus a fastest day. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find a collegia. Find some people you can have some dinner with. Yeah. Who are other writers. Decide where my urn's going to be. Yes, pick a good place. Mm-hmm. Do a sacrifice as well, maybe. Doesn't sure. have to be like sacrificing an animal. They did do that a lot. But also you can sacrifice like an oat cake. Oh, that's not too bad. I think yeah. I, could, I could swing that. Yeah, so like they, they've been very big on that. Like burn an oat cake mm-hmm. or like uh, burn, a, burn some bread or, you know, just sacrifice something to the gods. Tip, like if you have a glass of wine, just I tip. I mean, I like, might sacrifice some toast accidentally. Exactly, and it doesn't count if it's an accident. <laughs> but I won't tell anyone that it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, you can sacrifice that, you know, sacrifice anything you want. <laughs> um, as long as you've given it as a gift to the gods, then I'm sure they'll accept it. Well, they bit it because it was my hard-earned toast. Yeah, and no, there's not much in this world that I like more than toast, to be honest. No, well, so I, have really, I, I've, I have really good toast. Yeah, yeah I've I'm going to have some toast after this now. Oh, I might as well. <laughs> yeah so that's what romans did romans did all that kinds of things some of them are rich some of them are poor but most of them are kind of in the middle <laughs> turns out that's how people are that's how people are and what basically i want more books and fiction about people in the middle yeah i have there's a, i was talking to people about this recently which is that there was there's this whole thing where when people write fiction about the greeks they write they rewrite greek myths so mm-hmm. they rewrite the Antiquity, they rewrite the Odyssey, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, as nobody needs another rewrite of the Iliad. And when they write about Romans, they're either writing about emperors or they write about the army. And there's like a whole world of Ben Cain and Simon Scarrow mm-hmm. and Anthony Richet and all of that who write like, 
I am Maximus, can't remember his name, but I am the father of, and I'm fighting in the army of, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, they don't write about the gods and they don't write about average people, really. So, like, there's a whole world of being normal, I guess, but also being religious in Rome that is ignored. Yeah. Um, and then there's a whole world of not being the son of a god uh, <laughs> in the Greek world that's not yeah. written about. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Like, nobody ever rewrote the Aeneid. No, the Aeneid never really gets the same amount of attention that the other ones do. It's partly because it's boring. But, so I mean, kind of, the story of the Iliad is not that great. So, anyway, that's a diversion. What are we going to talk about next time, Janina? Uh, So, next time we are answering a question from Matthew Lagden, who is mission-focused on Twitter. He is the one who very kindly sent us that video of people running in our... Oh, nice. Um, That was really cool because even though we talked about it, I still imagined people clanking. And so I was like, oh, wow, you can really move in that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So if you you have Twitter, you can go and look that video up. It's really cool. Anyway, Um, what's his question? His question is, are the stories you hear of women dressing up to be soldiers true? And if so, how did they get away with it? That's a good question. It is a good question. So we're going to talk about women dressing up as men and whether you can talk about them as women dressing up as men. Or whether they were trans men in the past and why yeah. people would do that kind of thing. And yeah, so yeah. we've got some nice gender and sexuality and conceptions of such things in the past. Yeah, that should be good. Yeah, until then, if you have a question, you can email us at uh, sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and send us a message at, at sexyhistorypod. How else can you contact us? You can contact me at, at Nuclear Teeth. And you can contact me at J9 and F. And we are produced and beautifully edited. He makes us sound so much better than we sound when we talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we give him a lot to edit out. Oh my God, we go from for so many of me going, uh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, by the excellent Oliver Keeley, who is at Kiwa on Twitter. And I think that's it. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, then that's nice. Or you can just email us and tell us that we're nice. We like that too. Mm-hmm. But the review tells other people that we're nice. Yeah. And if you have a question, you can please send it. it to us. Please send yeah. us questions. And I think that for our 10th episode, we're going to do short questions, like ones that wouldn't fill an hour. So if yeah. you've got a short question that's like a yes or no, then send us those too. Yeah. Bye, Janina. Bye, Emma. Bye.